Get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money, save, retire, and service deals today. Dobbs. With 43 locations, real deals are always close by. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Time now for the Balloon Party on the Tim McKernan Podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. Morning, ladies. (laughs) Yeah. I'm talking to you. (laughs) Yeah. It's Balloon Party driven by Mungan S. St. Louis Acura and Alton Toyota. It's my wife's birthday, and I know she's tuned in, and she wanted me to give her a special shout-out. So what's up, girl? <laughs> Happy birthday. Thank you, Jackson. You bet. Uh, Jackson, on today's program, Jeremy Rutherford's going to be with us. But otherwise, it's a wide berth Monday, Super Bowl. Uh, I know you want to break down Rihanna's performance, and you really want to break down what took place in Knoxville, Tennessee on Saturday night as Missouri shocked the world, DeAndre Golston, and you talk about the tournament, and Jerry Paul has Missouri now as a four seed in the NCAA tournament this morning. You know what they're calling it, Tim, the, the Rocky Topple. Is that what they're calling it? That's what they're calling, well, calling, calling it. The, 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 call it the Rocky Topple. That's twice now, twice in a row, that Missouri has defeated Tennessee at uh, Thompson Boiling Arena. That's two in a row for them. So. Tough day to be a volunteer. Uh, well, it's a great day to be a balloon party lister, though, because we have the Little Piddles weekend wrap-up. Woo! Let's hit the hole. Yeah, let's do it. Uh, so I made some adjustments to the weekend. Yeah, you, you stepped up to the line of scrimmage. Mm-hmm. You saw a defense that you didn't think would uh, optimize the offense, and you called some audibles. I respect that. Yeah, as absolutely. Just mailing it in. Right. So um, obviously, I wasn't going to write. I wrote the questions originally before the Super Bowl. Super Bowl happens. I wanted to put some new questions in there, and I guess I could have preventively put in some questions, like "What did you think about the game?" And <laughs> that would have right. been good. But so I have some more relevant. All questions. All right. What do we got? I'll ask you at the top. Do you think the Eagles got screwed on the holding call towards the end of the game? What are your thoughts? Uh, No, I don't. Um, Here is what I think about that play. I think it's a call that should be made. Um, I think the fact that Greg Olson, um, to his credit, and I want to go into this more unless there's a Greg Olson, Tom Brady question lurking in the next few questions. Is there? Is there? No, no. There's not? Okay. Uh, So I will tend to it here. Let me put it this way. If Greg Olson is not as vocal in his criticism about that call, I do not think the reaction that the call had uh, or still has would have been nearly as great. The broadcaster, as case with media, understandably, nobody's doing anything wrong, frames the narrative. I uh, would tell you this. Think about how many articles you 
may read or just read the headline, and the headline, before you even read the article, frames the mindset you're in if you do read the article. And so I think that if Greg Olson says something along the lines of this, Jackson, Boy, it's a tough call for the official to make in that spot, but you clearly see Bradbury grab Smith Schuster's jersey there, and that's a hold. It's a tough time to make that call. It's a critical time because it probably just gave Kansas City a 99% chance of winning the Super Bowl, but you can't do it, and it doesn't matter if there's a minute and a half left or if it's week six. You can't do it there, and the official made the right call. Totally different reaction for the most part. From around the country. Now, of course, Chiefs fans and people who bet on the Chiefs say it's the right call. Eagles fans and people who bet on the Eagles say it's the wrong call. That's the way that it works. It's like talking college sports. It's like talking politics. I would imagine we can acknowledge that there there is understandable bias. Just because there's bias doesn't make people wrong. Here is what I love. Here is what I love. Greg Olson, who in a way was kind of playing for his job last night. Yeah. Because Fox has hired Tom Brady before he's even called the game for $375 million for 10 years. Uh, And Brady will be scheduled anyway to take over in 2024. That spot, meaning Olsen is going to be demoted, said what he truly thought, even though it was something that I assure you the NFL was cringing when they heard him say. Yeah, definitely. And I respect that in a major way. Whether you agree with him or you disagree with him, I respect that because it's something that a lot of people watching the game were wondering about in that moment. And oftentimes broadcasters won't go down that road because it could risk their jobs. And here's a guy whose job is already at risk in his first ever and possibly last ever Super Bowl having the nerve to be as critical as he was. Furthermore, as McKinnon was breaking free because the Eagles were going to allow the Chiefs to score, smartly so, he's yelling, he's got to get down, he's got to get down. So he saw what was out there, calls it. I thought he did an outstanding job. I thought Kevin Burkhart did an outstanding job. The Fox crew did an outstanding job. And I really tip my cap to Greg Olson, even though I do believe it was the right call. Hmm. I got you. Yeah, I, I I get Bradbury. James Bradbury said that he believes that he did hold him. I just think in a play like that, it's so major, and you leave it to the hands of the officials. It's, it's tough, and I get Eagles fans complaining about it. Um, I also get Chiefs fans saying, like, well, you, he did hold them. So there's, it's such a tough spot for the officials. So what did you think? Uh, I thought in the moment that it was a bad call. I thought in the moment it was kind of touch and go, and the way that they were calling it kind of hands-off for most of the game to make it in that situation was really, really tough because it essentially ended the game. Uh, here's the uh, next question. Do you think the NFL made a huge mistake using this slick, literally slick, new field, or do you think they avoided an even bigger disaster if something would have went wrong with it? Also, it seemed like the painted areas were the slickest, so why are the two Super Bowl logos massive? Just massive. Um, They've had issues with that field in Glendale before. Uh, That was where Auburn beat Oregon to win the national championship. They had issues then. It has been a problem, and to me... If Butker, for example, slips on that game-winning field goal, yep. you have a crisis. Exactly. Uh, Bradbury of the Eagles said afterwards, I held. That is a very surprising soundbite. I'm sure the NFL was very happy to hear him <laughs> say that. Yeah. But they couldn't have done anything about the situation had Butker slipped. And, I mean, hell, the uh, Eagles kicker slipped on a kickoff. Yeah. 
if that happens, I think that Kadarius Tony's punt return was in part because of the field conditions. Oh, yeah. It's tough to turn directions. Absolutely. So that is beyond unacceptable. Is it the reason the Chiefs won? No. No. But I'm telling you, that was really, really bad. Oh, yeah. Really bad. Oh, yeah. Really bad. Like, it looked like A.J. Brown caught a pass and tried spinning around, turned directions. It looked like he was running on ice, kind of how someone would run on a slick surface because he couldn't get his footing down. And you're right. And Bucker was right on that painted area with Jalen Hurts kind of slipped on at the last play of the game. If he slips and falls and misses that kick— there is this discussion today is completely dead. It's oh, completely God. on what was that? What was going on with that? Because it was so evident throughout the game. And by the way, big time respect Tom Rinaldi. You know he'll do a lot of the emotional pieces, and you know some people like that. He'd, he'd be great for the Olympics. But that was some some journalism, and on the part of Fox too to talk about that. Mm-hmm. They spent a good amount of time yep. talking about it. Rinaldi had the first report on it, and then Burkhart and Olson were talking about that. That it, it, oftentimes, and I understand why, these are, as the late, great Joe Strauss would say, state-run broadcasts. I understand it. Do I like it? No, but I understand it. Your partners and the NFL is the God, and so Fox and CBS and ESPN and NBC, they take the knee to the God because that's how they're going to make their money, which is why I respect Olsen going, well, I don't really give a damn. I thought it was a bad call, and I don't really give a damn. The field conditions here are absolutely unacceptable for a Super Bowl. It's unacceptable for any game. Oh, yeah, absolutely. But a Super Bowl, yeah. a world championship, something people have worked 20, 30 years to get to this opportunity, and you got that? So I really appreciated the fact that they were you know, straightforward with the audience in a, in a spot where I'm sure that the league wasn't happy that they were being straightforward. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that was they were very candid on that, which is appreciated. Uh, next question: Does a win like this put Patrick Mahomes in a different category? At twenty seven, he now has two MVPs, two Super Bowls, and looks like he can keep it going. You think we're watching a legend in his prime? Do you think the Chiefs can continue this run and become a full on dynasty? Yes, and yes. Yeah, I, I think it's going to be more difficult than if they were in the NFC at the moment, because when you look at the AFC, uh, you have to get through right. Josh Allen. You have to get through Joe Burrow. Mm-hmm. You have to get through uh, Justin Herbert. I realize that was a bit of a clown show this year. They had some injuries in addition. And uh, and Trevor Lawrence gained some momentum in the second half of the season. Big time. And maybe that thing will, Pearson, will yeah. get going. Whereas in the NFC, you know, the team that the Eagles played in, in the NFC championship game had a guy who had never started a game until up around Thanksgiving. Yeah. Uh, starting before he got hurt. So, listen, inevitably it will it will change, but at the moment the AFC is the powerhouse, and just to emerge out of there is a bit of a championship. Yeah. Uh, and then to go and come back from yet another double-digit deficit, just like they did against the 49ers a few years ago, uh, adds to the lore of Mahomes. I also think Travis Kelsey and that offensive line needs to be discussed. Travis Kelsey, as they said throughout the course of that broadcast, you know the ball is going to go to him, and they still can't stop him. And with regards to that offensive line, I really thought the Eagles would win that game. Um, The Chiefs were, I think even Chiefs fans would acknowledge this, were the beneficiaries of some calls against the Bengals. Um, And and here I am, for the record, because I tell you what I think, and it's not political party crap. I thought that the hold was a hold last night. So it isn't, oh, it's pro-Chiefs or anti-Chiefs. And I thought that the Eagles defensively would be able to keep them in check. 
And the Chiefs were able to put up 38 points yeah. on that defense. Impressive. And what they were able to do in the second half after Mahomes got hurt. Um, and, 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 you know, I'm going to get into the weeds on, on some two of the scoring plays, the Tony touchdown and the Sky Moore touchdown. The coaching staff, you know, Andy Reid, I think, also is up in a different category yeah. now with getting another Super Bowl championship. Uh, the Rams beat him in the NFC Championship in January of 2002, and he has been back to Super Bowls, and he has won some, and now he's he's got two of them, and he's uh, lost some as well, both with the Eagles and with the Chiefs. But the adjustments they were able to make on that Eagles defense, whether they were at halftime or they were in the two weeks leading up to the game, they spotted when Kadarius Toney was breaking in motion that the Eagles' DB kind of turns his back and that is right when Tony turns and he runs right back and that was why he was so wide open the closest player to him I would say was Travis Kelsey was probably eight yards away looking to block somebody there was nobody there to block and then Sky Morris touchdown same exact same thing the Eagles go stack and the, the Chiefs counter it by going oh my god they got a blind spot here and nobody else has figured it out holy crap and Sky Moore he zags wide open touchdown that's coaching, you know, so it takes, it, it, that's the thing, Patrick Mahomes, and he should, this is not downplaying Patrick Mahomes, we are witnessing an all-time great in his prime, who probably isn't done winning Super Bowls, but it takes an entire team, offensive line, I always believe is the foundation that doesn't get enough credit, coaching staff, and then also what the Chiefs did defensively in the second half deserves a hell of a lot of credit. Um, I, I think that if Miles Sanders doesn't get hurt early on, I think it might have been a bit of a different situation because the Eagles are in a commanding spot and they couldn't run the football minus Jalen Hurts. They have Gainwell and Boston Scott and a beat up Miles Sanders. Miles Sanders had been hot going into that game, Big time. Uh, but he was he got I think he got hurt in the first play. They brought him back in, but he was never a factor. And the Chiefs' defense, which you know certainly doesn't get the attention of the offense with Kelsey and Mahomes, uh, played a big role in that second half surge. So that's a that's a monster tip of the cap to the the organization as a whole. Yeah, couldn't agree more. Yeah, which I, for the record, am not a fan of. Right. But you know, but my responsibility here is to give you my analysis of the game, and that's what I think, whether I like them or not. Yeah, for Reed to run that play twice and for it to work to perfection twice is just a testament to how well that they read defenses and are able to make adjustments with Mahomes and with that offensive line, how they can just recognize that and immediately go to it. That's true coaching, and that's what great offenses do, and they're one of the best we've seen in a long time. Uh, Next question. The next question is, of course, about the Tigers. How about them Tigers? What a victory on the road. We've established that they have a wide delta uh, with the Tigers, but in your opinion, if they play towards the top of that delta, can they hang with any team in the country and make some noise? Yeah, because I don't think that there is a take your pick of whatever team you'd want to cite as being in a different world in 2022, 2023. Yeah. We saw Purdue lose to Northwestern yesterday, number one team in the country. Now, when they've gone up against one or two seeds, likely one or two seeds this year, and how many times have they played one or two seeds? Is it fair to say twice? Yeah. yeah. Alabama and KU? Yes. You saw what happened. Both of those were at home. Mm-hmm. They did not go well. Kobe Brown did not play against Alabama. That's important to include in there, and I think Missouri's a different team now than they were against Kansas. I think Kansas might be a different team now than they were against Missouri in early December. With that said... Uh, if Missouri lost in the first round, as terrible as it is to say, after what is one of the highest high points with that, uh, what did you call it, the Rocky Top? The Rocky Topple. Uh, 
it, it wouldn't shock me. But I also think that's just being a Missouri fan and expecting yeah. absolute right. awfulness. Um, on the other side of it, if they made a deep run, it really would not surprise me. It is it is a wide delta team. It is a wide delta team. And either way, the thing that I love about that game, just in second place to yet another buzzer beater from Golston, is the fact that they had a 17-point lead. You know, because if you watch college basketball, you know what's going to happen, especially when you're the road team with a lead. It, it The officiating is going to have some correction, and here it comes, and it's brutal. And it was, you knew it, the, I, I knew it the half. I'm sure you knew it the half what was coming. Oh, yeah. And so now Tennessee has a six-point lead after Missouri blows a 17-point second-half lead. And I am telling you, at that point, I could have gotten Missouri plus 1,000. And they might have been plus 1,000 at that point. I'm I, Probably not that much, but I bet it was like plus 400. Yeah. I wouldn't have taken it because of the momentum and you're on the road. The building's going crazy. But that, to me, is a credit to coaching. It's a credit to the players uh, to not just give in. Not that players would give in, but psychologically to go, okay, it's over. They fight back. They get it to the point that they do, and then they put themselves in a position to have a miracle take place. That, to me, was the most impressive part of it. Can't say enough about the job Dennis Gates is doing. Yeah. Can't say enough about the job Dennis Gates is doing. But it takes a whole staff. He certainly has a large one. My God. Oh, yeah. Uh, but that's college basketball now. And that team, to win like that against a team that was coming off a terrible loss, that's when you would think they'd be at their hungriest, and they were able to come out and start like that, just like they did in Fayetteville and just like they did in Gainesville. But unlike the Fayetteville and unlike the Gainesville losses, this one they were able to win, and an absolutely huge signature win for uh, Gates in his first year. Absolutely. I agree wholeheartedly, and I think another great testament to him is how he gets guys to adjust to his system. He brought in a bunch of leading scorers from other schools, Dre Golston, Noah Carter, Demoy Hodge, and they've adjusted. He brought in head coaches from other schools and to their assistant coach roles, and they've adjusted. They all buy into what Dennis Gates is selling, and I think that's such a huge credit to a guy in his first year with a bunch of mid-major players to do this, to beat Tennessee on the road, a team who was number two like a week or two ago who yeah. could be a number one seed in the NCAA tournament. That is incredible. Let's take a break, and then we'll go to the second half of the Little Piddles weekend wrap-up shoot. Yeah, exactly. That's what it is. Uh, Jimmy Rutherford coming up as well. People want us to talk about the Blues tweet. Got a lot of te- a lot of, a lot of texts on that, so we'll talk about that as well. Uh, that's coming up next. This is Balloon Party, driven by Mungan St. Louis Acura on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Balloon Party on the Tim McKernan Podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Welcome back, Balloon Party, driven by Munganess, St. Louis Act. Your Alton Toyota, Tim McKernan, Action Jackson with you here on the program. Jeremy Rutherford coming up at 1045-ish. We gave him four minutes on mon- last Monday, and I feel like he's never been angrier with me. Yeah, I feel like he- I might have to fight him, honestly. Oh, boy. Aren't we already fighting Panger? Is that <laughs> happening? Yeah, the video of us against Chris Nagel is up at YouTube.com slash TMASTL. I sent it to Panger and Patty Maroon on Saturday morning. I said, here's your game film, boys. Just let us know when and where. <laughs> yeah. But we're undefeated, and we got the strap. Sure. <laughs> so that's going to happen next. Uh, Patty Maroon and Panger against the five of us on TMA. Yeah, but we'll fight anybody as long as they don't show up in here. <laughs> um, Jackson, uh, yeah, we got to, we got a lot to cover here coming up on the program. And how how many more questions do we have on the weekend wrap-up? And, and, and listen, because people want us to talk about this Blues tweet thing, I can, I can go right into any. It, you tell me. That's why it's the Piddle Show. Yeah. I can adjust. I'm going to make an, an executive decision and say we should go to the, to, the, to the Blues tweet thing, not necessarily. The last two questions are fine, but, 
you know. Okay, we hit, we hit if that. If you want to press eject, we'll get, we only have an hour, and so yeah, we have to maximize right, right. it. And as, as you know, your time management here is left it's a awful. little bit desired. It's awful. Uh, let's see what we got here. Uh, the Blues tweet, this whole partnership thing kind of sucks. Oh, God, the Blues, F that S. That's from the 636. So uh, the Blues tweeted out last night uh, the following. The Lombardi is coming back to Missouri. Congrats at Chiefs. Uh, And then with a picture, congratulations, Chiefs from the St. Louis Blues. Jackson, before I go, uh, what did the Cardinals tweet out to the, the Chiefs? No, nothing. That's not possible. No, they tweeted out nothing. Okay, what did the uh, dogs, the new MLS franchise, the the pink and yellow, what did they tweet uh, out? They tweeted out nothing. I understand. Yeah. Um, you want Battlehawks probably next? They they tweeted out nothing. Okay. Well, I don't understand this because I thought since they're from Missouri, you tweeted. Okay. Yeah, I don't get it. Uh, what's your uh, what were your thoughts? Uh, I mean, I think you know Kansas City does not have a hockey team. St. Louis doesn't have a football team. Seems like wow. A, I mean, Battlehawks fans text in Air Comfort Service text three one four three nine nine six nine six four six. Have at Jackson. Unbelievable. Kansas City doesn't have a NHL hockey team, mm. and St. Louis does not have an NFL football team. Mm. So that seems like an opportunity there, and possibly things in the past, whether that be Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey coming to games, Ryan O'Reilly wearing a Chiefs helmet during the All Star game. Maybe things are correlated. All right, fair enough. So here is my analysis of the situation. To be crystal clear, Jackson, if you wanted to root for the Kansas City Chiefs and for the Kansas Jayhawks, I know you wouldn't. But if you wanted to, I couldn't care any less. It's like if somebody wanted to date whomever, have at it. Right. You know, it just doesn't impact my life in any capacity. So all I can do when I'm talking with you, when I'm talking with our audience, is give you my reasoning for my feelings. And if you share them, great. If you don't, wonderful. A wise man once said this, some people like some things, some people don't like other things. Yeah. I want you to think about that. Yeah. And uh, Gabe Diarman, the colonel on TMA, just said, and some people don't like anything. That's correct. He added a, he added a sentence to it. Uh, now, when the Colonel was on with us in the previous hour on TMA, he comes on every Monday to talk about Missouri athletics. You can podcast that uh, on the TMA STL app. Uh, I said, boy, or Doug said, you sound pretty down for a guy whose team just won the Super Bowl. He goes, well, I just am assuming the people in St. Louis don't really want to hear me talk about the Chiefs winning the Super Bowl. And I'd be like, Gabe. There are a large number of people in St. Louis, in the St. Louis metropolitan area, who have adopted the Kansas City Chiefs. Oh, yeah. Um, and I said, just out of curiosity, you grew up in Kansas City. Your father wrote for the Kansas City Start. Are there a lot of blues fans in Kansas City? And he said, I don't really pay much attention to hockey because I didn't have a hockey team growing up. Um, but I don't, I don't really know of it. But mm-hmm. that's not to say that there aren't. So... Here is here is my official reasoning. And if people want to do it, they do with whatever they want. Number one, if you went to the University of Missouri, you have much better insight into this than those who did not. I had no idea, none, zero, not even like I had an inkling, none, when I arrived on that campus in the 1990s of this thing that Kansas City had with St. Louis. 
a really weird deal. Obsessive, actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's got to be over now, but I don't know because I, I don't I don't hang out at the college bars, and if I do, I'm in disguise like Buck Dancer. <laughs> Secondarily, uh, there's this there's kind of become this. Well, everybody voted for the Inglewood project. Well, eventually, thirty vo- thirty owners voted for Stan Kroenke to move, and that's fine, and that is factual. However, there were six owners on the NFL's Los Angeles Committee for Relocation hand job session that was already rigged. I believe was what the official yeah. I think that's what the official thing on the letterhead. was was titled. One of those was Clark Hunt. He was the only one on that committee to vote for Inglewood. Now if you don't think he was thinking it was going to be good for business for the Rams to leave St. Louis so he could market to Missouri, then you are welcome to believe that Travis Kelsey and Patrick Mahomes on their own wanted to come over to a Stanley Cup final game and the Blues on their own decided to wear Kansas City Chiefs helmets one day, and this was not about dollars. If you believe that, God bless America. Yep. I support your belief in the fairy tale. But in reality, my belief is that it was nice for the Rams to leave St. Louis so Clark Hunt and the Chiefs could expand their footprint to the east and do exactly what has wound up happening, capitalize on the largest metropolitan area without an NFL team and market to them. And I read, because when it comes time to talk about this stuff, I don't talk with emotion, I just tell you what happened. There is a reason why Clark Hunt currently finds himself as the owner of the Kansas City Chiefs, the son of former owner Lamar Hunt, whose name is embedded in the AFC Championship trophy. He has to possess some business savvy to have success atop the Chiefs organization. So when the relocation meeting took place earlier this month, this is dated January 2020 or January 16th, um, on FoxSports.com, it wasn't a surprise that Hunt was the only member of the six-person committee on relocation to vote against suggesting the San Diego Chargers and Oakland Raiders stadium plan in Carson, California. Instead, he recommended the Rams-only plan in Inglewood to the rest of the league's owners. Hunt's public position was clear. He didn't believe that Los Angeles could have sustained success as a two-market team, this despite the fact that L.A. is the nation's second-largest media market. Within the Chiefs' brass... The stance was likely more about how relocation would impact the organization itself. Could Kansas City take advantage of being the only NFL team in Missouri? Chiefs president Mark Donovan talked about this topic recently, mainly focusing on what type of marketing approach his organization would take in St. Louis now that the Rams are in L.A. Quote, I've gotten texts and emails from fans saying, I'm a Chiefs fan now, and we appreciate all that, Donovan said via the Kansas City Star, but we're going to take a strategic approach to that. We're going to be respectful. They've been through a really tough process over there. Not wanting to be seen as cold and calculated, this is a perfect stance for the Chiefs to take publicly. It doesn't change the fact that Hunt had been a big proponent on Rams owner Stan Kroenke's plan to uproot his team from St. Louis to Los Angeles. His vote as a member of the six-member board on relocation magnifies this to a 
T. Um, the way the league rules work regarding marketing in St. Louis, there are differences with tickets, broadcast, television, and radio, and what you can and can't do, Donovan said, because it's in the state we're in. We have some rights there from a marketing perspective. But you've seen the other teams reach out already. Indianapolis put a little marketing campaign together to welcome fans over to Indy. Like I said, we'll be strategic about it, but we'll be respectful about it. Uh, So, what is my issue? My issue is you are cheering for the one owner on that committee. The committee, not all the owners. Because I'm sure some of them were there like, God, we got to be at this meeting. We don't care. We have billions of dollars. Let's go home. But he was on the committee, and he recommended the Carson Project. So, if, if, and listen, if you, and if you don't care about it, and you go, oh, it was seven years ago at this point, that's fine. Good. Great. I'm, you're, you're a Super Bowl champion this morning. For me, I don't forget that. And I think it was strategic. And personally, I'm disappointed from a Blues fan perspective that they're playing this game. But at the same time, I understand because it's good business. The thing is, I would say, much like my skull, the relationship is lopsided. The the, the number of Blues fans in Kansas City versus the number of new Chiefs fans in St. Louis, I would say, arbitrarily, for every one Blues fan, is probably like a thousand St. Louis fans who have adopted the Chiefs. But if that's the game you want to play, have at it. The tweet was not very popular. Personally, I understand why the Blues do it, and I understand why Clark Hunt did it. But I'm not a mark. Right. I know what you're doing. Right. And it's worked. It was pretty easy to predict. But this whole thing about Missouri, well, I didn't see the Blues tweet out a congratulations to the Royals when they won the World Series in 2015. Well, I don't remember that at all. I don't remember the sporting Kansas City tweet a decade ago, but... You know, maybe I maybe I missed it because I don't follow those teams because I'm not a fan of those teams. Your thoughts are welcome. 314-399-9646. This is Balloon Party, driven by Munganess, St. Louis Acura on 101 ESPN. All these crazy alien stories can't be true, can they? Hey, it's Stephen Diener, host of the Unidentified Alien Podcast. And whether you're new to the conversation or have been looking into it for years, you need to check out the fastest growing alien show out there, the Unidentified Alien Podcast, or UAP for short. There's a crazy amount of alien encounter stories out there from all over the world. And the beauty of it is that I bring them all to you and let you decide what you believe. Download and subscribe to UAP on any of the major podcasting platforms. And you can also find it on UAPpodcast.com. We're right back to the balloon party on the Tim McKernan podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Welcome back. Balloon Party, driven by Munganess, St. Louis Acura, Tim McKernan, Action Jackson with you. Jeremy Rutherford's going to be with us here in a few minutes. I actually went into that last segment thinking I was going to get my ass lit up in the Air Comfort Service tax line. And that's not the case? That is not the case. Love it. Love wow. it. Wow. It's well, been true. Let me read, I mean, read from the. I mean, don't get me wrong. It wasn't universal support, but it was substantial uh, support. Uh, I went to Southwest Missouri State, now Missouri State, of course. Mm-hmm. And uh, what you said about Mizzou is 100% accurate. The people from Kansas City were completely obsessed with hating all the St. Louis sports teams to the point where when we were watching the Rams and Panthers play in the playoffs, every single Chiefs fan was rooting for the Panthers. It's sickening to see how many people jumped on the Chiefs bandwagon when in reality the master plan was clear as day that they wanted to get the Rams out of here so they could pounce on the market. Also, when the Cardinals were playing the Astros for the right to go to the World Series, every single Kansas City person was rooting for the Astros. That is from 
the 314. Uh, let's see what we got. Being in college right now, the St. Louis bandwagon uh, Chiefs fans got to be the most annoying group. That's from the 417. Agree. Show's popular in the 417. Oh, you, you experienced that? At- yeah. Well, so they won the for their first, first home one, yeah. Super Bowl when I was a senior. And you would have thought, you know, and, and to be fair, like I wasn't like, I didn't, couldn't identify who's from Kansas City and who's from St. Louis, but I know a ton of people from St. Louis who have jumped on the Chiefs bandwagon super hard. And it's, 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 it's annoying to me because I, I feel like they didn't support the Rams when they were in St. Louis. Like, you know, it, it's kind of fair weather. I, I want to make sure, though, I restate this, even though I gave you my reasoning, and my reasoning is for what I experienced in Columbia in the 90s and then also what transpired with Clark Hunt on the committee. He was on the committee. He wasn't just an owner voting. Uh, and then the marketing deal uh, into St. Louis. And while I have no proof of it, it strikes me as a rather uh, coincidental relationship mm-hmm. with right. the blues and the tweets and the helmets and the song and dance. And like I said, I get it. It's all business. But it, don't, don't tell me it's heartfelt. Right, exactly. You know, and I guess nobody's necessarily saying it's heartfelt. But if you just want to – if you think it's wonderful and organic, great. I want to rain on your parade. Sure. But if people want to root for a team, they it doesn't impact me in any capacity. I am giving you my perspective as to why I don't. If I would have gone to Indiana or something, I would probably be like a, a large portion of the people in the audience who have no idea what I'm talking about when it comes to this Kansas City thing with St. Louis. And I don't feel like it was reciprocated and then it would drive up the, the wall uh, drive Kansas Cityans up the wall when St. Louis fans would be like well there's not really a rivalry because mm-hmm. there wasn't really a rivalry right. well now I think some St. Louisans are getting irritated not necessarily with Kansas Cityans who are Chiefs fans but with St. Louisans who have become Chiefs fans right. but if I'm you know if I'm 10 years old 15 years old I don't know anything about the St. Louis Rams and what happened I know that Patrick Mahomes is one of the most exciting quarterbacks to watch and uh, they're from Missouri so I'm going to adopt them so God bless America people can like whoever they like I personally don't care but having covered the Rams relocation situation as closely as I did and then seeing what the Blues are doing it irritates me I'm not going to denounce the Blues because of what I see they're doing nor am I going to denounce the Kansas City Chiefs because I understand what Clark Hunt was doing. Yeah. But it but I'm not going to pull for the Kansas City Chiefs, but I wasn't pulling for the Kansas City Chiefs well before Clark Hunt was the one guy on the six-person committee to vote for the Inglewood project. Yeah. I was so irritated by some of these people in Kansas City when I was at Mizzou that I'm like, "What is the deal?" It, it, it's like if 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 you show up in you know, the University of Illinois, and you find out Springfield's got it out for St. Louis, and you go, the hell is, what, what, what do we do? <laughs> you know, if anything, it, it, you know, at that time, it was 10 years after the 1985 World Series, you would think St. Louis people would have it out for Kansas right, City after the right. Game 6 and the Dinkinger thing. Just nobody really thought about it. I don't know what was going on. So if people want to cheer for the Chiefs, be my guest. The Blues tweet thing, again, maybe the Cardinals are going to send out the tweet today. And maybe the dogs will send out the tweet today. But I haven't seen it yet. Right. And maybe the Battle Hawks will send it out. I haven't seen it yet. 
Uh, Tim, the general population of Kansas City has a real one-sided beef with St. Louis. Plainly said, they hate St. Louis. Kansas City is a nice town, but I will never support them because how much they loathe us. That's from the 618. Yeah, that was my experience, but again, I haven't been in Missouri in 20 years, so I have no idea what the hell's going on now. You're telling me that was the way that it was relatively recently. Yeah. I I would think they'd just be happy. They got a World Series in in 15 and two Super Bowls since then, And, and they might get a couple more. Sure, and and to, like I personally didn't have that many. And friends their city's from moving city. in the right direction too, big time. Yeah, I didn't have many friends from Kansas City, so I can't speak to it in a major sense. But I did know some people who had like a like a like a big uh, issue with St. Louis. Like always, was like a competition. When I never felt that way about St. Louis, I felt more about that to Chicago than I would to Kansas City. Uh, let's see, a bunch of tap, a bunch of people agreeing. Hell, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm used to being the, uh, the villain. <laughs> this is uncomfortable. Your thoughts are welcome. 314-399-9646. Jeremy Rutherford is going to join us coming up next. This is Balloon Party, driven by Munganass St. Louis Acura on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Balloon Party on the Tim McKernan Podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. It's time for the Rutherford Report on 101 ESPN. Anything you folks want to know about the fascinating world of pro hockey, here we go. Welcome back, Balloon Party, 101 ESPN. Our presenting sponsor is Munganast, St. Louis Acura, Alton Toyota, Tim McKernan, Action Jackson with you, and it is our pleasure. Welcome to the program, the great Jeremy Rutherford. Morning, JR. Timothy, Michael McKernan, how you doing, buddy? I am wonderful. How are you? Fine, fine, sir. Doing well, yeah. Just got out here to uh, Blues practice. They're uh, on the ice here at 11. Of course, uh, Matthew Kachuk and the Panthers in town tomorrow night. And I guess uh, for the us media folks out here, we pay attention to who's on the ice because if not, that means they might be traded, right? That's uh, it's kind of the, the theme of the, the final few weeks here of February into the final uh, stages of this trade deadline. You, uh, you have a piece this morning with regards to what you're hearing on Ryan O'Reilly's future with the Blues and the trade market. People can read that at theathletic.com. JR has been all over this, uh, really not just the trade deadline, all over the season. Got a little edge to you, and I like it. JR's got a little edge to him, Jackson. Yeah, I like JR edge or otherwise. Oh, wow. You like a dull JR is what you're saying. I'll take JR in any mood. Oh, my gosh. Uh, JR, what can you tell the people about uh, what you are hearing about Ryan O'Reilly and his trade market? Yeah, Tim, well, I think that uh, for a few weeks now, you know, everybody believes that it's a foregone conclusion that the Blues will trade Ryan O'Reilly, and it makes even more sense with the way that the season's gone since then in the past few weeks and the trade of Vladimir Tarasenko. But just a little caution to the wind, just that uh, I think there is uh, mutual interest on both sides to possibly get something done. But all the while, Doug Armstrong is going to continue to listen two offers you know in the trade market and i think that's what he has to do and so i think even blues fans are kind of thinking that the best move here is to to make a trade and i think that's probably still going to be the way that this goes Uh, but i just don't want people come march 3rd if ryan o'reilly is either signed by then or still on the roster at some point has a contract extension to be surprised because there is mutual interest and i think doug armstrong respects ryan o'reilly and I think he looks at the culture of this team. And what if he doesn't have them? Do you turn it over to Jordan Cairo, Robert Thomas? Are they ready yet? Do you need a couple more years of Ryan O'Reilly? I think that's what they're going through right now. Yeah, in reading your article this morning on The Athletic, that that struck me as something that uh, you know was worked into the story but perhaps has a greater importance than maybe any anybody's leading on is that if you lose O'Reilly and Tarasenko is already gone, 
and of course Petrangelo is long gone that who becomes the leadership force in that room and sure you have Shen and but you know are you ready to hand over the reins to the two guys who just signed the long-term deals so how much of what is essentially an intangible in leadership factors into that equation for the Blues and then just in general around the league yeah, well, I think it's a situation that the Blues are in, and we've been talking about this too, is that you have so many guys on long-term contracts that you can't move, that you can't just necessarily strip everything and turn it over to these uh, two young leaders in Cairo and Thomas. At least you're paying them like leaders, and you want them to be, uh, and, and just think that that's going to work. So I think that's why you're in a situation with O'Reilly, with uh, can you hang on to him, and, and does it make sense? But bottom line, if Doug Armstrong is wowed by a deal and, you know, you see that Tarasenko uh, trade brings you a first and potentially a third-round draft pick and, and a prospect, too, I think that's what the market's going to be for Ryan O'Reilly, too. And I think when you're Doug, even if you would like Ryan O'Reilly to stick around and be a part of this and, and help this thing get turned around quicker, uh, that uh, the deal's just going to make too much sense for Doug and he's going to have to pull the trigger. So I just, you know, in the article, what I try to explain is I think that's what he's balancing right now. I actually think and we've gone we've gotten into a weird place because if you would have said in mid-October if the Blues had traded Ryan O'Reilly on March 3rd you would I think assume that the vast majority of the fan base would be upset about it I think now that if he is still a member of the Blues on March 4th the majority of the fans would be surprised and disappointed that he is not because they dislike him per se but because they want to see the Blues turn the page what is your assessment of the fan base's perspective on o'reilly and the trade deadline yeah i think you're right and i looked at the comments on the bottom of the article today at the athletic and that's what a lot of people are saying is that uh, if brian o'reilly is here still on, on march 3rd you know that's a failure on the blues part and i think the sentiment from fans and i can understand where it's coming from is you're either going to retool or you're not you either have to be fully committed to uh, it or you're not you're not fully committed to it but that goes back to the point that i, I just made and tried to stress is you know, how do you fully commit to a retool rebuild when you have some of these guys that are, you know, you look at this defensive play and you can't move those guys. So how do you fix them? How do you change them? So, you know, how can you fully commit to a rebuild when you can't move a large portion of the players who have been a failure for you for this past season? So I think that's where you're kind of stuck in that situation. But, yeah, to go back to the point about the fans, I think it says a lot because Ryan O'Reilly is a fan favorite. He's done a lot here, but a majority of them say that if he's still on this roster, that's a failure on the Blues part. Uh, what about the Barbashev situation, which you're hearing? Yeah, I, I think he's going to be traded. I think that uh, he's got value around the league. There's a few teams. Uh, Vegas keeps popping up. Uh, I think that's a fit. I think that uh, he's probably going to cost the Blues too much if he wanted to re-sign him. Uh, and I think that uh, if you're going to move on from him, now would be the time to really capitalize on that value. So I think that at the end of the day, he'll probably be traded. Uh, looking at uh, money puck, which is by no means uh, you know gospel or anything along those lines, the Blues are currently at 2.6% to make the playoffs and now 4.2% to win the Conor uh, Bedard sweepstakes. That is, that is the math. What do you think about the yeah, math? Yeah, it, it, it's not good. And, you know, we saw a team the other night that uh, ended up winning the hockey game 6-5 on overtime goal. Uh, but, look, we saw the same mistakes. And I realize you come back from 11-game uh, day break, you're going to have uh, some rust, and they did early on. 
Uh, but we saw some of the same issues in front of the net. You know, Jordan Bennington had a hiccup or two. Uh, but then you see the Blues give up a three-goal lead with 10 minutes left. Uh, so I, I don't think that any of that stuff should surprise us. And I think that even if you go on any sort of run here, it's fine and dandy. You don't want to see the team, uh, you know, mail in the season. You want to see this team keep it together the last couple months of the season. Uh, but I think by and large, uh, this group isn't going to be a group that's going to be able to get it done. And I think Doug was very clear in his comments the other day when he said uh, that uh, it just it just isn't as, uh, you know, he wanted it to be obvious, and it is obvious, of what he needs to do. Uh, Vladimir Tarasenko was the first one to go, and in his debut with the Rangers, if I'm not mistaken, it was his first shift. Uh, he gets a goal and gets the Tarasenko cheers going. And then uh, yesterday uh, posted a message via social media to Blues fans. Your thoughts on the weekend that was for Tarasenko with the Rangers and his statement to uh, Blues, the Blues organization and the fans? Yeah, how about that? He goes up to uh, New York. Yeah, I think his uh, first shot, and interestingly, I think his first two shots with the Blues when he started here, uh, a decade ago, he scored uh, goals on the first two shots for the Blues. He goes up and does it on his first shot with the Rangers. You know, my takeaway seeing uh, Tarasenko looks good in a Ranger uniform and looks like he's uh, happy, smiling. They had video of him, the Rangers did, on their social media feed of him walking in the locker room and, and all smiles. He said it's been really emotional, and uh, I think uh, he's played a couple of good games for them. He's going to fit in great. That's going to be a great fit, just like we talked about right before the trade uh, was made. But in the end, I think the Blues had to make that move to him and a great uh, package they got back. And, you know, I'm going to have a piece coming up at The Athletic uh, maybe tomorrow where I talk to a lot of ex-Blues teammates, Vladimir Tarasenko. What are they going to remember about him, and how will he be remembered in St. Louis? Of course, he put out his uh, Instagram post, like you said, thanking St. Louis. And I'm going to try to use this piece to uh, let others do the talking about how he'll be remembered. Nice. I look forward to reading that. Uh, that'll be on The Athletic. You can read about uh, Ryan O'Reilly and the state of the union with him and the blues and the trade market at theathletic.com and uh, JR's fine, fine work. We always enjoy the conversation, sir. JR, thank you so much for the time this morning. Yeah, we'll talk to you later. All right, that's Jeremy Rutherford with us here on Balloon Parties. We wrap it up. EK and Ferrario are up next. For Action Jackson, I'm Tim McKernan. This has been Balloon Party, driven by Munganass, St. Louis Acura, Alton Toyota, on 101 ESPN. You've been listening to the Balloon Party on the Tim McKernan Podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.